The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. The clock is counting down on 2022. Recession, it's a lock in 2023. At least the analysts say... Some better news lifting confidence in the consumer and a look at recessions and recoveries, many shapes and sizes. And we're considering Kanikama, fish sticks, all this and much more on episode number 796 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Thank you for being here with me today and every single week that we spend some time talking about finances. I know it's sometimes, it's kind of tough to think about the future, but if we want to have a wonderful past, we're going to need to be working on a successful future. Think about that for a second, right? For all of you that are first timers, first time listening, I am the host of this podcast. My name is Andrew Horowitz. I have been at this mic, or at least one like it, in a studio somewhere. Right now, we're in the studio that we built out in our offices in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where it is so nice and warm, even though it is Christmas time. And we've been doing this for a while now. We've been helping people and listeners just like you make heads or tails about what is going on in the markets and finance, understanding the lingo, the verbiage, what they're talking about on TV, what you read about in the magazines. And the truth is, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat this, it's complicated. Not all the time, but many times it can be complicated. And there's a lot of moving parts that are involved with every single thing that happens in the markets. And especially since we have such rapid fire news, information that flows so quickly on topics, no time to really think about it. That's something we've talked about many times before. I mean, on, on one hand, we have a, a stimulus bill over here that can lead to, I don't know, fill in the blank. Maybe inflation, benefits for uh, maybe defense stocks, for example, lower bond prices. And the outcomes, they're, they're limitless. If you really think about it for a second, there are so many different possibilities because of what's going on. It's the butterfly effect of finance, especially in more recent times, that the news was flowing not only quickly, but 24-7. I mean, did you see this week how quickly the Japanese yen reacted to the news that the Bank of Japan was going to allow for the range of yield on their 10-year bond to move from plus or minus 25 basis points from the zero line to 0.5. In other words, going from 0.25 to 0.5. Not raising rates, don't misunderstand that not raising rates at all, but allowing for the market to move rates outside of a boundary, meaning they're not going to pressure and buy the bonds to try to suppress the rates or to move it up, depending on which way it is. So we're talking about a 25 base point possibility, not even a reality. And you saw it after. You didn't probably see it right away because on the news, it's about 3 a.m. in the morning, New York time, the yen rallied about 3.5% which is 
uh, I can't exactly give you the, the, the consequence of that, but for a currency to move 3% in the snap of a finger is pretty astounding. There is a, a, whole host, a whole host of repercussions that are involved there, like the price of imports, the price of exports, the price of uh, their bonds there, by the way, the price of retiring debt, the price of the buying treasuries, the price of um, all this goes on. And their yen moved up against the U.S. dollar by about three and a half percent in a split second. No time to really adjust or think about it. You know, this is right in the middle of their morning. And all of a sudden, this is moving pretty substantially. Now, remember, the yen at one point was priced at about $150 per yen. And it is sliding down uh, to 133, getting more expensive. And uh, in other words, the dollar is strengthening, was strengthening, and now it's 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 actually uh, reducing. So it's upside down and backwards. Bottom line is the yen itself is in fact getting stronger. After uh, I, I think it was probably a 15 percent move in a short period of time throughout the start of the year, and uh, now it's still down. Um, about 15% since a year ago, but it really moved very quickly. And this movement, whether it's up or down, really is not the point, but it has a lot of implications on different areas of the market. And these are things that you need to know about. Now, you don't need to commit them to memory and absolutely have the knee-jerk reaction ability to trade on this, but just something that you need to know about because this has an impact and a very substantial potential impact on your portfolio. Because when we look at the potential outcomes of this kind of situation, whether it's news, action, talk, policy change, the fact is that the U.S. dollar is starting to see a bit of a rollover that has been really beneficial to a lot of different areas in the market that you should be paying attention to. Not because, again, you're a trader, but as a long-term investor, longer-term trends like currency moves whether a currency is on the rise over a year or two or on the fall and rolling over a year or two or over a period of time that is usually substantially longer than just a few days can really lay out a really interesting game plan. Now, this is going to probably help multinationals that were <laughs> they were getting their butt kicked pretty substantially throughout the entire time, especially those that were linked to Japan, for example, or other currencies where the dollar was appreciating substantially to for some time. So when we see that this reversal is happening with the yen dollar, where the dollar is again getting weaker against it, what else is moving? Things like silver, silver up 29% since late October 2022. The correlation is clearly intact with the U.S. dollar strength and weaknesses. That, again, is probably going to be and start to become a slight headwind for companies that have been complaining, kvetching, and being concerned about the whole idea of currency problems and then reporting their earnings in constant currency basis just so you could see how much of an impact and effect this had on their earnings. And the multinationals, the big companies that do business around the world, will see a bit of a tailwind from this. In addition, there's there's probably some things you 
don't realize inside your portfolio that may be seeing some kind of either benefit or, or, or maybe a detriment from these kinds of moves. Because there are portfolios, positions, if you have mutual funds, if you have ETFs that are probably, I would dare say, non-dollar denominated. You say, like, like what? What would that be? Well, how about your foreign or just simply your emerging stocks inside of a mutual fund? How about the, the emerging bond or the foreign bond, non-U.S. portfolio inside of an ETF? And this is something that you should really focus in on and keep an eye on because not all managers in these areas play the game the same way. Some are hedging, some are not hedging, some are specifically hedging during certain periods. Some are using the hedging as a tool for um, investing purposes. Some are absolutely by edict or, or by, by prospectus, yes, hedging, no hedging. So these are important because I've seen plenty of, let's say, the, the developed foreign equity funds that hedge the U.S. dollar and plenty that don't. And you as an investor, I think, really need to know and understand what you have. Because if you are holding a foreign bond fund, let's say, that is hedged or unhedged, you may see a very and vastly different outcome dependent on what the currency does. A currency that moves 15% in your direction, if you are, for example, if the dollar is moving down and you hold a... Uh, let's say emerging bond fund that is um, moving with the dollar because it's unhedged, you have the benefit and the, the tailwind of getting the opportunity to get the currency move alongside of whatever your investment move is. On the other hand, it could be just holding you back entirely. So you need to know which one this is and how you're positioned because if you're looking to get true non-U.S. exposure, maybe you don't want to be hedged in the United States dollar back to that. It's up to you. I mean, but maybe that's not what you want to do. Now, some people say, you know, I am willing to take the risk on this investment, but I'm not willing to take the risk on the currency. That's fine. If that's the case, then what you do is you simply will utilize a hedged version of that particular fund or instrument. On the other hand, if you want to have true foreign exposure in your portfolio for diversification potential, as well as for the opportunity for, for um, gains alongside of whatever direction that you believe the currency is moving. In other words, it's true to have a true, true diversification component of that instrument, foreign equity, developed international, emerging market bonds, whatever it is, then you may want to look at for certain of these, the unhedged version. But a lot of times you don't really know what you have. And I bet you're wondering right now as I'm talking to you saying, uh, what is it that I have here? Now, you can look it up in a variety of different ways. You can go to like Morningstar.com. You can go to the, the actual prospectus. You can go to the uh, fund family and go to their website and look for whether or not they are hedged. And you can probably call up and ask that as well. And then find out more importantly, not only are they hedged today, what is their total positioning on a regular basis, what do they what do they do? Are they always unhedged or only sometimes? Are they always hedged or sometimes? 
You need to know because you don't want to have a surprise. I mean, look at it this way. You go to a great little Japanese sushi restaurant and you order crab. You order the crab sushi. Everybody does it, especially people that don't like to eat raw fish. I'll take the crab. You go to the restaurant, you say, I'll take the crab. And you got something that, well, it, it looks like crab. It maybe even tastes a little bit like crab, but it isn't crab. It's kanikama. It's imitation crab. I looked it up. It's made from surimi, which is fish flesh that has been deboned, washed to remove fat and unwanted bits. I'm reading this directly, okay? Then minced into a paste. The paste is now blended with other ingredients before being heated and pressed into shapes that mimic crab meat. Kanikama. Kanikama. That's how we say it in the United States. I believe the way it's said in Japanese is um, kanikama. Kanikama. So that's what you have in your portfolio, potentially. Imitation crab meat. <laughs> Fish sticks. And that may not be what you want. You may be ordering that crab thinking you're getting crab, and you're like, ah, oh, this crab is kind of interesting, a little salty. Why is it so salty? Wow, look at that red color. Is crab always that red? No, that's imitation food coloring to make the kanikama or the kanikama with its deboned, fat-washed, unwanted bits, minced paste that you're eating, which I probably ruined it for you for life. <laughs> but it's okay if that's what you want. But here's the thing. You know, it's good. It tastes good. You dip it a little bit of uh, wasabi and soy sauce and it all tastes the same in the end anyway, but it's just imitation. If It may be fine for you that you're getting some of what you wanted, but if you want the real McCoy, if you want the real crab, you're going to have to order it differently on the menu. You're going to have to be very specific. And it's the same thing when it comes to mutual funds and ETFs. Know the ingredients. There's so many reasons why you want to understand this because you get things inside of a portfolio like overlap where you have multiple positions inside of many different portfolios that you own that really give you no diversification. What's the point of having an S&P 500 fund, a QQQ fund, and a large cap growth fund and a large cap value fund? Did you just do anything specifically to better yourself from a diversification standpoint or you just have one big mess with four different funds that pretty much all do the same thing? So when you're looking for diversification, and the purpose of this, by the way, long-term, is to find that flower garden that we talk about where something is, is blooming at any given time, depending on whatever the circumstance is, whether we have uh, a slowdown that is coming or whether we have a big growth bull market that's ahead. But you have things also in there like style drift and closet passive active strategies and, and, and so many more different features that could be there. The point is, that it may be fine to you for you to have a, a, a fund choice. And in this case, we're talking about a, a foreign fund. But if you want the real thing, make sure that you're getting the real thing. Okay, there's good lessons in here. Kanikama, fish sticks, surimi investing. Let's not get just the wrapper that looks like something we think it may be. Let's get the real deal inside of your portfolio. Here we are on the precipice of a new year. 2023 is ahead of us. Why not take this opportunity 
to spend a little time with your portfolio if you can, if you're able to do so, or talk with your financial advisor or find a financial advisor, somebody that can find out, you know, what real you have in there and what is really the Surimi Kanakami. There you go. There's one thing for you to do. So, you think we're going to have a recession starting maybe, I don't know, as early as, what, next quarter in 2023? I think this is all the rage. The idea that everybody who is anybody is making predictions that we're going into recession. I don't think I've heard anyone making predictions that there's anything else except a recession. So let's talk about this. I think it's important. We've had a recession. We went through a recession, right? Just just last year, this year, 2022. We had two back-to-back consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth and, I don't know, maybe the newfangled calculation and discussion of what a recession is is something different than we all learned for decades upon decades. They change it because why? Because oh, you don't want to have a recession. Looks bad politically. It looks bad for a lot of people. So what do you do? Well, you change the definition to make it more difficult. Just like when we had the twos and the tens, the inversion of a yield curve from the two-year to the 10-year, when the two-year yield was higher than the 10-year, that was a harbinger of concern that we are on the precipice of a recession. It is a slowing down, contractionary signal that there is too much tightening and the financial um, uh, conditions are not conducive for growth. And the Fed comes along and says, no, 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 no. We don't really look at that. 210, no, that's passe. We found that not to be as accurate. We used the three-month and the 10-year. Three-month and 10-year. Wow, that's a big differential. The, the difficulty in getting an inverted 310, which we are, by the way, an inverted three-month 10, is, is something. And when you get to that stage, you know that there's really a slowdown. You know that the Fed is really pumping the brakes. And they're really trying their best to cause an economic, not collapse necessarily, of course, but a slowdown economically. And the idea that we are going to have a recession, again, you know, whether it's whatever the definition is used at this point, let's just say a slowdown, okay, of some magnitude that is problematic and that's going to keep the financial news all abuzz for some time is probably going to be the case. But Let's just all admit, just for a moment, and play the game that a recession's coming. Somewhere down the road, there is a recession. And you have to wonder, and you have to think to yourself, okay, well, how deep? How long? I mean, right? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if it's a technical recession like we had last year, it could cure itself very quickly. And if that was the case, perhaps stocks wouldn't have to have a massive leg lower. Just a thought. And we have to recognize that sometimes stock prices don't necessarily have a fully synchronized uh, movement when it comes to the economy. Just because the economy is moving down, we saw that. Think about it. Think about the total stoppage of the economy during March of 2020 when we were in the midst of a massive pandemic and No one knew what was going to happen day to day, week to week, where you looked out the window, stared out there, and it was like the abyss. It was like the end of the world as we know it, according to like REM. 
And here we are, all of a sudden, the market took off to unbelievable levels. Why? Well, something happened. During this massive recession, one of the first things they did was, you know, said, you know what? The government said, you know what? You may die, but at least you're going to die rich. I mean, that's what they did. They poured money into the system in order to make sure that all these mandatory, mandatory closures and stay-at-home orders were at least not going to make you poor. Your health may be a problem. You may be miserable psychologically. You may uh, have years of scars you'll have to undo. But the fact is your wallet is going to maintain security. So... When that happens, you don't always get the lockstep move or the synchronization of stocks with the economy. Stocks, the movements of stocks in a big way really, I think they, they, more, they react more to surprises. And if that's the case, if everybody already thinks, and when I say surprise, I don't mean just like, hop, surprise. No, I mean something different than was expected. That kind of surprise. So if everybody already thinks that we're going into a recession next year, what's the surprise? I want you to think about that for a second. What is the surprise if everybody's on board with the idea that there's a recession coming and already has done their best to price in that to where they want to be from a stock positioning, bond positioning, and therefore doesn't that mean that that transmission of information is already priced in. So now we have to wonder about the surprise. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be stupid enough to take sides or make any predictions. That's just a that's a dumb idea. We work with data, right? We work with the data on hand and try not to MSU. You know what that is? MSU? Make stuff up. We're not going to just make stuff up, which, oh, could be. Oh, this could be. Oh, that. No, that's just stupid. Dumb. What we have in front of us right now is a consumer that we know is borrowing to spend. Not every consumer, different levels. You know, the, 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 the low income, mid incomes, the, the, the high incomes and the wealthy and the not wealthy. You know, you can mix that all up. There's a lot of consumers out there. But generally speaking, the average consumer, the average person in the U.S. is starting to borrow to spend. What has happened is that during the pandemic, there was so much money in the system, so much money thrown at people that they were able to pump up their savings while reducing their overall credit. And now the money is not out there as much, not that people are losing their jobs yet, but there's just not that free flow of money. They still want to spend. And that spending on prices that are much higher than they were, they had to go into their savings first and then tap themselves out. We are seeing some incredible numbers when it comes to consumer credit. When that all ends and when they have to all of a sudden wake up the next morning after the great party and say, oh my God, how much percent am I paying on that credit card? That's when the problems really start. This is all starting to become very problematic because the consumer is going to be tapped out and that's how we get ourselves into a problematic economic situation. But again, there's a lot of different types of recessions, right? There's slowdowns, there's contractions. Some has been anticipated already and there is, is, is thought that even 
with the Fed raising rates and their efforts with quantitative tightening, that this, there's so much liquidity out there that it would be very difficult for things to get really overly problematic and treacherous from an economic standpoint. The slowdown would have to be something so severe to offset all this well-oiled liquidity and finance uh, money that's been pushed in the system. So, so let's agree. Let's say that there's some kind of recession coming, which really is just the decline in economic activity that lasts more than a few months. I think we could probably say that's all it is, right? It's nothing more than that. We always have to look at the recoveries and what kind of recoveries can be post-recession. So I want to give you some of those shapes because they come in shapes. They, they, everything has to be fun and interesting, right? But they come in shapes is what they are. And these recoveries, I think if we look at one shape in particular, which we'll go through, I think that's where we are. I think we're in a recovery that has a specific shape right now that may make sense when we talk about it. And there's a variety of these different shapes we could talk about. Where do we begin? All right, let's, um, well, the most common, uh, the, the one that we, maybe the shape that we see the most often, uh, and that's that's a V-shape. That's pr pr primarily what we've seen over the last several years because the Fed keeps on swooping in to make sure that nothing happens, you know, propping up markets, propping up the economy. Uh, we see a lot of V-shape recoveries in the stock market, but also this is, this is when we see a rapid fall, like we saw back in March of 2020, very much, uh, in line with this particular letter. And we get a quick rebound in in months to, to at least the previous levels, okay? We had 1990 to 1991 recession, which lasted only eight months, was followed by strong recovery and economic growth. That was V-shaped. Um, the type of recovery that we saw during COVID-19, same thing, very, very similar. And again, that was due to a very aggressive federal, fiscal, and monetary policy that went on, right? And the consumer really popped back in and did very well. Uh, now, that's a V. Now, we have a U. U is a, is a, is a downslope, like a V, but we don't recover as fast, right? It, 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 it's a slow recovery and then starts coming up slowly but surely and then recovering over time. And this is extended. This is what we call a deeper, longer recession. Uh, it takes a much greater amount of time for the economy to return to previous levels. So uh, the Great Recession, the financial crisis, lasted 18 months, followed by a slow recovery. That was that was U-shaped. That was very much what that looks like. And we got uh, L-shapes. Now, an L-shape, you think about it, is a, is, a, is a big drop and a really long recovery, right? because we have a long period of maybe, let's say, high unemployment, low economic output. The Great Depression, for example, lasted 43 months. Four straight years of negative GDP growth. That was L-shaped. So that's very rare. That's something where the economy can't, just can't recover uh, for all sorts of different reasons. It's even even the the great even the financial crisis which which took down banks and which 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 just blew out things. I mean, it was still a, a, a U. It, it got better. It took. It, listen, it felt awful during the period of time, right? Then there's weird ones like K. That was probably also 
during some of the most recent times where it was an uneven recovery. It was a V for some and an L for others. And you get this weird K shape. A W. Now, a W is a double dip recession in which if you think about what a W looks like, you get a, a stroke down and then you get this recovery. Maybe up to the level, maybe not. Somewhere in there, it starts rolling over again. Drops back sharply before beginning its way up again. And that could be uh, a W with a long U at the end or a V at the end. It could be two Vs. It could be two big uh, two U's that come together. Double U, right? And this was like what we saw back in 1980 to 82. Now, I want you to focus on this one for a second because there was a, there was a second oil crisis. There was high inflation which triggered a brief recession. And then the Fed came in uh, actively and it was very aggressive with their anti-inflation policies. And that caused another rollover. That was interesting because that, in my opinion, has the most familiar feel to what we could experience. Because we saw that possible left side a few months ago, we saw the, re the recession with, the classic double negative or back-to-back or, uh, -back negative GDPs. And then a bit of recovery. Things got a little bit better. And the Fed came in and started really hammering even further. And we have some questions about oil and gas, and especially in Europe, and pricing throughout the winter. What's going to happen there? And the war in Russia and how they're going to cut off the Nord Stream. And then we have the Keystone with the big spill. And, you know, it goes on and on right now, the potential for where we see the similarities from the 80 to 82. And the second part of the recession is, is oftentimes a lot worse because people got in at a bad time. People didn't believe it and shore themselves up enough. Not enough, sometimes people say not enough uh, fear got into the system to allow people to pull back, so therefore they're a lot more exposed. So a W. Hmm. I mean, we already know that we had some of this. So the requirements under traditional recession definitions, it's there. Could we see something like what we saw in the 80s? Maybe. Again, that analog is very similar and, and seems to fit with crazy commodity pricing and then quick drops, quick economic recoveries. Now perhaps on the precipice of another leg down from the W with a Fed-induced slowdown. Ah, interesting. So let's use that. What if that was the case? What if we're having a W? If all the discussion that we're seeing right now about having a recession is you know, somewhat true? And if, in fact, we saw some of that happen already, but yet uh, maybe now people are a little bit too optimistic in where they're seeing things. We can see further downside action. The continuation for further downside. But it may appear in fits and spurts like we've been seeing. Like we saw the 2 to 4% day followed by a slow reversal over the next few weeks. Rinse and repeat. Either way, we could start from the upside or the downside, by the way. Now, with all this knowledge, why does it matter anyway? It's important to understand, yes, no question about that. But it's important, more important, I would say, to the news media who has to keep pushing out content about the same thing over and over and whether they know it or not or whether it's actually something they're actively campaigning for or not, they are in the business of being a conditioning machine. 
Getting us all conditioned. If you watch CNBC in the morning, it's the same thing over and over and over. They have guests on and every, do you think we're going to raise rates? Do you think the Fed's going to do this? What's the, do we have a recession? What if we have a recession? Is the Fed going to do this? Over and all morning long. They ask every single person, like every single person they ask is an important piece of the puzzle to get the answer? I think not. Investors with a five-year or more time horizon, they don't need to care about any of this intermittent economic information. Not every single thing matters. What we need to know, though, as good, solid investors for our future, are components of what's ahead. What's ahead in the shorter term to make decisions on our portfolio? Like we talked about, if we want to be hedged with the dollar or non-dollar denominated or unhedged positions in the portfolio during this period or that period? Do we want to have commodities on a portfolio? Should we be leaning or tilting, if at all, on growth, large cap value? What is it going to be? These are much longer term concepts, not one month, six, 12, 24 months out there that can be designed within a portfolio based on the knowledge of where we are and, and, and more importantly, where we're going. But not every single tick is that important. But all of this is predicated on if you have the right mix in the portfolio and not imitation or kanikama. Not that mess up, questionable, what is that red dyed piece of crab sitting on top of my rice, but rather the real deal. The real deal, not just something because the name looks right, not because it's on the menu and you're like, you just pick that, but to make sure that all these things fit together and you get the real ingredients in there. Something to think about when we put together the concept of where we want to be, what's ahead and, and what's inside of the portfolio to develop a, a total plan of action. And that's pretty much what I want to sum up today and what I wanted to talk about. So if you're interested in fish sticks or not, well, this show is for you. You got that uh, all in there. And that's about it because we are we are entering into it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas 2022. Happy Hanukkah. We're about to have a new year upon us, a time where now from now to the end of the year, you can reflect, think, and start to really put together a plan of action for your betterment for your future. That's all I got. Let's make sure that we have the real thing. Let's make sure that we're looking at that clock, counting down 2023 for a better 2000, 2022 for a better 2023. Focus on the real thing, not just the information that's being pushed. And I think you'll get to where you want to be. Listen, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you all the time. Wonderful holiday wishes to you and your family and everyone that you love out there. And let's make sure that we are on on the on the on pace for a wonderful not only 2023 but a nice decade to come. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice 
or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.